Hey everyone, it is episode 11, one and one together is 11 of How's That Day, a culture rundown with Tom and Phil. I am Phil Wiedenheft, here to introduce you to my co-host, Mr. Tom Bond. Hello. There he is. Each week, Tom and I, we get together and we chat about how our days have been going, and together we work through our thoughts on what's going on in pop culture that week. I'll start this week with the same question I ask Tom every week. Tom, how's that day? Day's good, Phil. It is Wednesday, June 6, 6, 6, the mark of the beast. You know, on June 6, 2006, it was a Tuesday, and the Omen remake came out in theaters on a Tuesday, which is very unusual. You know, movie, I remember I remember that, yeah. Movies always come out on Fridays and occasionally on Wednesdays, although now, like, the Thursday midnight has turned into Thursday night. But uh, very, Thursday at, like, 8 p.m. Yeah, very unusual for a Tuesday release, and the Omen remake did it. So it could say it came out on 666. Mm. And I I went to go see it in Vermont that night. I was uh, dating a girl. School had let out, and we were in college. I was a year ahead of her. I was, sta- I was living in Vermont at the time, like in the college town near the college. Actually, I had dropped out of college at that point. So I was not in college. She still was. She went back to New Hampshire for the summer, And I was living in Burlington working at the nursing home place I worked at. And she came up to visit for like four nights, stayed in my apartment. And one of the nights I made her go see the Omen remake and it was terrible. But I was really happy because it was 666 and I thought it was cool. Awesome. It's my mom's birthday. Is it really? It is my mom's birthday. So that year, my mom was the devil, I suppose, or something. That year and every year. Yeah, well, that year especially because it was 666, obviously. And yeah, but it, she was born, yeah, today was her birthday. I went to see her today. But we can talk about that. Happy birthday, Phil's mom. Happy birthday, Monica. Say happy birthday, mom. I love you. Happy, ha- happy birthday, mom. I love you. I already told her that today. Oh. I went to see her. I know, but I wanted to hear it. Okay, well, there you go. And now call me mom. I'll call you Tom, and it sounds like mom. Mm, it does rhyme. We should rap about it. Tommy, mommy. Call me by your mom. Well, that's cool. I'm happy birthday, Phil's mom. Uh, you're a lovely woman. Thank you for letting me stay at your house that one time. So you you've talked about the fucking Omen remake, even though I asked you how your fucking day was going. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, the Omen remake was terrible, by the way. I know. Um, Although, actually, I saw it on TV like maybe a year or two ago. I saw like the first like 30 minutes, and I was like, oh, wow, is this like a really good low-key movie that I forgot about and didn't like remember? And then, like, no, it turned to shit pretty quickly. But there was, like, a stretch where I was like, oh, wow, this could be this could be good. But it's not. No, it's not. The Although the, ori- the original one I saw um, when I was, like, 18 or something for the first time, and I didn't like it. And then I rewatched it. It, it was playing in theaters at the Arclight here in Hollywood three years ago, two or three years ago. And I had never seen it since I was a teenager, and I rewatched it. And I got to say, I really enjoyed it the second time around. Very scary soundtrack. And I don't I I just don't think I had the patience for it the first time. I was expecting more of like a a fright fest of a movie and it's much more of a patient drama with some horror elements. It's really well made. Good movie. But Phil, my uh my day is good. Um as I said, it's a Wednesday. Worked again on uh, Mamma Mia. I just ate some delicious leftovers from the catering place and caught the second half of the Cavs Warriors game three. How was that? I wasn't able to watch it. Warriors won again? Uh, Yeah, the Warriors won again. It was actually a a tightly contested... Cleveland got out to a huge lead in the first quarter and immediately 
lost it. Um, but they were up at halftime. Then the Warriors did their thing, which they dominate the third quarter. That's just what they're known for, especially this year. Um, but it was back and forth. It was close up until the last two minutes or so. And then Steph Curry and Kevin Durant just drained threes and pulled away. I think they ended up winning by seven or eight points. So it is now 3 nothing. Golden State. Series is over, barring the most miraculous comeback in sports history. Which, if anyone's going to do it, it'll be LeBron. But I don't. it seems like his spirit's been crushed by J.R. Smith's antics. Yeah. not And they they, sh- they showed something. I, didn't, I, I was listening to music, as we'll get into. So I didn't have the game audio on, but they did show some clip, I think, during a commercial break, during a timeout. LeBron and JR were yelling at each other on the sidelines at the bench. I think it was more of a competitive in-game disagreement, not like a personal thing. But Yeah. I mean, but- LeBron was on fire, man. He had a great highlight play where he, he, was, at ha- he was at the free throw line and got stuck in the air. So he threw the ball off the backboard, caught it midair, alley-ooped it to himself. Which you normally see in an All Star game, and he did it in the NBA Finals. He's just—he's ridiculous. But but it's not enough. Yeah, uh, Kevin Durant actually had his playoff high. He had like forty three points, most points he scored in a playoff game. Nice, I he guess. Not for, not for you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it seems like a mixture of like Curry and Durant have stepped up their game a bit since the last uh, series against the Warriors. And, uh, or not the, the, I mean the Rockets. Curry actually had kind of a bad game, but he hit, uh, two big shots at the end of the fourth. That's the thing about the Warriors, man. We, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse. We've talked about it enough, but Curry can be awful, the two time MVP, and Clay Thompson can do nothing, and they can still win by eight points because with Kevin Durant, they're just so overloaded with talent. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So that talent stepping up at the same time as LeBron's kind of like, being really frustrated with J.R. Smith, and obviously, like, he can't... Well, we've talked about it. He, you know, is carrying that entire team, basically, at this point by himself, and just can't do that for the entire playoffs. It's a long, long haul. No, he he's clearly tired. I mean, he's barely resting any games. He did sit on the bench for, like, a minute tonight, but his three-pointers were going long and short. He just... I mean, he had a good game, obviously, as LeBron, but he looks gassed. Oh, that's a shame. Oh, well, we'll see. We'll talk, I'm sure, at some point in the future when he decides what he does next year. We'll see what what that does to the NBA. L.A. Lakers calling it now. All right. I don't disagree. I actually think that's a smart call, especially like your points about his potential like future in Hollywood and expanding his brand name and stuff. Because, like, yeah, I, I don't see him doing, like, you know, the – NBA shows next to fucking Barkley or anything like that, you know, for his whole life. I don't think that's what he's going to rely on. No. Although the more time passes, him going to Houston seems less and less implausible. It seems likelier by the passing day. And Houston with LeBron versus this Warriors team, as much as that would be, you know, two stacked super teams again, that would be a ridiculous Western Conference Finals. The Oh, God. I can't. That actually that makes me excited. Well, and you said you just want him in the West and you want him out of the East. Yeah, get out of the East, let Boston take over. It's Boston's time. Bring back the Boston Philly rivalry. I want it to be like the eighties when Dr. J and Larry Bird were choking each other. Let's do it. Boom. Let's get, let's anyway, get nasty. Phil, we've talked enough sports over the last few weeks. Phil. That's true. I have a question for you. Yeah. How's that day? Ooh, doggy. These dogs are <laughs> these dogs are barking. That's what I'd say about my the feet dogs right are barking. now. The dogs are barking. That's what I'd say about my feet right now because I've been, I've been on the run all day. I've been running around. Uh, yeah, I just had a busy day. Like I said, it was. Uh, I had a lot to do, 
And it's one of those things where you're kind of like, man, I have a lot to do. Something's going to like fall apart. Something's not going to happen. But it all happened. I, I squeezed it all in, and here I am once again, past midnight, sitting in my closet, making this podcast part of that list of things that happened today. So... I'm happy. I mean, I'm in a good mood. I still have plenty of energy right now to have this fun discussion we're about to have. I'm excited to have it. But otherwise, you know, the day was good. I Like I said, it was my mom's birthday, so I went to go see her. And the fun thing about that was that the house was a goddamn dog farm. I took my dog. My dog often comes with me places. Uh, Ralph, he hopped in the car with me and came along. Uh, I took my daughter there to go see my mom and say hi. But it turns out that my younger brother is in town, and he brought his two dogs and my mom already has two dogs, so, and, or I'm sorry, my mom now has a third dog that she just inherited from my other brother's girlfriend. So, basically, because of my mother's children, all of their girlfriends have made us inherit more dogs. So, by the time I went over there, it was the sixth dog in the house, and that was just a lot of dogs to deal with at one time. Uh, they were, they're all new to each other as well, so they were, like, sniffing each other and barking and howling and... You're, I was just worried they're all going to pee on each other or something like that to mark each other. I, You know, you never know. So that was a little chaotic. I got, I got out of there. But, I, I, you know, we talked about how I was making a movie this year. So I had to rush out and do some camera tests for that. We got a lot of really cool shots down. Um, we played with some equipment. That was a lot of fun. And I had a lot of fun doing that. And then I uh, came back here now to do this. So I'm, I've had a very full day. I squeezed in uh, a screening of Catherine Berlay's film Fat Girl. I watched that um, for class, that women in film class that I've been talking to you about. And I also had to write an essay about uh, pornography. So I've had a very full day of doing stuff. Dogs and porn, two of man's best friends. Absolutely. They both lick your balls. Had you seen Fat Girl before? No, no. I'm uh, very hot and cold on Catherine Berlay uh, in terms of like I have some respect for her ballsiness, you know, if for lack of a better word, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I admire her bravery as a cinematic artist and some of the taboo stuff that she's really gone down. But at the same time, she makes me very uncomfortable. And there's a lot of stuff that I'm kind of like, you know, really turned off by. And I realize that that's part of the point. But at the same time, I haven't kind of actively sought out all of her films. So I'd avoided this one because I figured it would gross me out. But it turns out this one was probably the least gross out of the ones that I've seen from her so far. And except for Abuse of Weakness, that one's pretty light in terms of the graphicness. But otherwise, this was my first time seeing Fat Girl, and I really, really liked it. And it was very shocking and very disturbing, but like very, very full of a lot of ideas and a lot of really hard to watch scenes, but also like there's a lot of truth, and that's why they were hard to watch. So I really enjoyed the film. It was very upsetting. It was a dark part of my afternoon. It was really, it was a lot of movie to comprehend in 85 minutes. But I'm happy I watched it. And then I had to immediately rush off and read a bunch of articles about pornography and write a five-page essay on those. So that was my afternoon. Yeah, I, I think that movie is great. It's um, it's my favorite film of hers. I've only seen a handful. Very interesting movie. And what you're saying about it, maybe it made you the least uncomfortable of any of her movies, I assume you mean viscerally in terms of what you're actually seeing on screen yeah. visually because the subject matter is still pretty yeah it's very intense subject matter yeah. very fucking dark especially the last five minutes holy fuck Ooh, I, that that ending is a banger man that yeah. is the, yeah. one of the most memorable endings i've seen in a movie for sure yeah that ending is gonna stay with me for a long time um but yeah that, and you're exactly right what i mean is 
the content was very disturbing and what they what she was exploring was very disturbing and there was very disturbing images but comparison to some of the other stuff that she's put on screen before i would consider it slight cuz that stuff was more like not body horror but like really gross close-ups of bodies people sticking things in their bodies that don't belong there and you're just like uh and yeah she can get pretty extreme but that's part of what she's exploring and you know that's she's an interesting filmmaker I'm happy I watched yeah. it. Very happy I watched it. The look on that girl's face at the end of the movie is burned into my memory, for that, sure. Oh, yeah, that freeze frame. It's like a 400, yeah. 400 blows-ish almost freeze frame. <laughs> yeah, or, or like sleepaway camp for French art films. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, did you ever see, speaking of her, Anatomy of Hell? Have you watched that one? No, no. I think uh, at some point we were supposed to watch it for class, but I never got around to it. Not this class, but a different class. She's assigned a lot of Berlay films. We even went to a screening that Berlay was at for Abuse of Weakness because our professor is a massive, massive fan of hers, and she got a chance to interview her. And uh, she did a Q&A in Columbus that we went to a couple years ago. I didn't get a chance to like meet her at the Q&A, but we were you know, in the same room. Yeah, it's, uh, I haven't seen Abuse of Weakness, but... It's not my favorite. Not my, it was pretty. I would consider it pretty slight in her. Pretty lower. It was. It wasn't very. It was. I was pretty bored by it. But I would also say the circumstances of me seeing it were kind of fucked up because I was really drunk and full of meat, and we had like smoked some marijuana before the screening. So I walked in there just kind of trashed, and the fi- we find out that the theater's air conditioning is broke. So it's a really hot theater. Oh, so, fuck that. I'm out. So I'd I, leave. Yeah, well, it was for class, and our teacher was there. Like, it was a uh, required... I'd still leave. I, it was, I was literally sitting there, like, meat-sweating and beer-sweating and while stoned and drunk watching this, like, slow French art house film. It just wasn't a good way. <laughs> you know, it was not a great night. I was like, I'm, I'm excited that a great international filmmaker's here, but, man, I got to get out of this fucking room. Yeah, that's brutal. Uh, for those who know, I, I just want to... I know you said you haven't seen it, but I bring up Anatomy of Hell because... This, this is the logline of the movie. A woman employs a gay man to spend four nights at her house to watch her when she's, quote, unwatchable. And it stars a hardcore porn star named Rocco Sofredi. And the movie is just them having weird sex that turns into violence and BDSM. And that's the, it's the entire movie. And it's, uh, it's porn. It's basically porn. Oh, good. I will, see, yeah, she's done some pretty extreme stuff, man. Yeah. It's a strange one. Speaking of extreme stuff, my friend, my other friend, Sean, he was telling me, he's my friend who likes horror a lot, and you guys disagree a lot, but he wanted me to ask you if you have seen the film Terrifier. No, that just came out, didn't it? Yeah, he just watched it, and he was telling me about how fucking nuts that movie is. I won't, I won't spoil some of the kills that he was describing for me, but it sounds very fucking intense, speaking of extreme violence. Yeah, I'll, I'll use that opportunity to shout out a great podcast called Shockwaves that is hosted by four people, including a producer who works for Blumhouse, a former writer for Fangoria, and this guy, Rob Galuzzo, a really great podcaster and just horror media person. And he started, he does a lot of documentary work. Like, he's done a lot of behind-the-scenes Blu-ray special features, especially on the Psycho doc. And I think he was in the one of the docs on the new Suspiria Blu-ray. Maybe that was the other co-host. He started uh, his own little production and distribution thing for Dread Central called Dread Central Presents. He was hired to run it. And Terrifier is one of his first releases, I believe. 
um, through the Dread Central Presents label. And I was listening to one of the most recent episodes of Shockwaves, which comes out every Friday if anyone's interested in listening to it. And his co-host reviewed Terrifier. And even Rob, who, who runs the label, was talking about how it's not really his type of movie. Yeah. Because it's very mean. And they were just going on and on about how mean-spirited it was. Yeah, but I don't... Interesting I, yeah. and well-made. But um, that kind of intrigued me just because, you know, I'm still perversely drawn occasionally to some of the more, like, subversive and, I guess, hardcore horror elements, even though I don't watch them or seek them out nearly as much as I used to. But that definitely put Terrifier on my list. The one thing is the uh, poster... And the images are all about this guy who's dressed up as a clown. Yeah. And I don't know. Clowns just don't, they don't do anything to me. They don't scare me. Well, some of the kills that he described to me were pretty brutal. Like I'm, I'm perversely curious about it, but I'm not seeking it out. It's not high on my to watch list, but I have heard of it. Yeah. See, I don't really have a good appetite for that kind of like, like you said, mean horror film. Yeah. This my friend also recommended to me this western that came out in 2016 called Brimstone that has Kit Harrington and Dakota Fanning and it stars Guy Pierce and also Carice Van Houten uh, so two members from Game of Thrones and Guy Pierce and it's a western and you're like sure let's check this out but it's literally just for me what was scene after scene of like let's see how much more we can torture these women and I I just got really really kind of turned off by it. And I got the vibe from some of the kills that he was describing to me in this movie that it was that same kind of like, we're just going to like tear these women apart type thing. And like, that's why the hostile movies never really appealed to me. I know that like you like those, but it's just never really been uh, to my whoa, whoa, appetite. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Excuse me? What? I hate hostile. I like this. I, I hate's a strong word. I don't like hostile. I like hostile. I was, okay. I was going to say, we were living near each other or going to school or whatever in New York when two came out. And I remember I have memories of you being like, it's pretty good. You should check it out. And I was like, man, I fucking hated the first one. I don't think it's going to happen. Let me clarify because you are, that is a misleading statement. The first hostel I do not like. Okay. Saw films besides the first one. I do not like the second hostel. I like, but not because of any torture that goes on. I think the plot of it is very interesting. And I think it's subversive in a way that, I don't even know how intentional it was, but it subverts that torture porn idea in a very interesting way. And that's why I like it. And the third one I didn't bother to see. So of all those, you know, major torture porn franchises, I like the first off for its creativity, the second hostile for its subversiveness. But in general, the the extreme torture horror I mean, there was a period, as much of a horror fan as I am, I think I've mentioned this to you not on the podcast, but there was a period for a few years in the mid to late 2000s, uh, pretty much a couple years up until we went to film school together in 2007, where I thought I was growing out of my horror fandom. And with hindsight, as the years passed, I realized it was more that we were in an era, at least of mainstream American horror, that was focused on graphic violence in a torture way, like in a, in a trying to make it as realistic as possible and that's just not my bag that's just not what i'm into i'm fine with a gory romp like dead alive um i'm fine with a blast yeah i like i have no problem with gore it's just like when there's like a you can tell when there's like a mean spiritedness to it exactly yeah and that's when it starts to get uncomfortable and that is what i've heard about terrifier 
Well, what do you feel about uh, like house that Jack built? Like that's apparently a very, you know, puts you in the shoes. Yeah. It's very mean spirited. It's a whole. It's a kind of a different type of horror, but it's still a kind of similar vibe or something. Same same house, ballpark. For anyone listening who doesn't know, the house that Jack built is a new Lars von Trier serial killer movie that just premiered at Cannes this year. Had a bunch of walk up outs. Had some pretty negative reviews. A lot of people saying how hateful and mean spirited the movie is, and why is Lars von Trier? <laughs> He just comes across as a, a horrible misogynist, which is a label that's been thrown at him before in his work. That movie's a little different to me because, uh, well, for one thing, I'm reserving judgment. I haven't seen any trailers or images of it yet. I've only heard the word of mouth that came out of Cannes. And... I've, I've seen the trailer, and it's you know it looks pretty intense. I'm not. I think it looks pretty good, but I, he's one of those filmmakers whose movies I always think look pretty good, and who ultimately ends up. I have a complicated response to his movies. Well, the other thing too is that that movie is by a filmmaker I respect and am interested in, whereas a lot of the torture porn era of films, and I know that's kind of a lazy term, but that's the one we're all familiar with. A lot of the the filmmakers who made those those glut that glut of films aren't really of the caliber in my opinion of von Trier. I Absol- mean James absolutely Wan, who did yeah. saw is great but von Trier, although he's hit or miss for me he's made some movies that i think are incredible you know i think dogville is incredible i think dancer in the dark is fantastic i think his miniseries the kingdom that tv series he made is one of the best television shows ever melancholy is great and you know then there's stuff that isn't so good, but that'll at least make me interested to check it out or give it a chance. And there's also, I mean, there are very intense horror serial killer movies that I think are incredible. Like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, I love. I don't really want to watch it a lot. I've seen it twice, and that's probably enough for another 20 years. I want to the, revisit it again before I see House That Jack Built, for comparison's yeah. sake. There's another movie called Angst from the early 80s which is shot entirely from not from the perspective of a serial killer but basically with the almost like the camera is hooked up to his shoulders facing him or right over the shoulder so you're like right you're suffocated by his presence or right in his perspective and it's an incredible incredible movie it's super disturbing i watched it for the first time maybe 5 or 6 years ago and I have not revisited it but it's this Austrian filmmaker, uh, Gerald Cargill, I believe his name is. But it's about this guy who's released from prison and just starts living out his sadistic fantasies. And it's a really intense, very powerful movie. But I don't really want to go back to it anytime soon. So I, I can appreciate movies like that. And since it is Von Trier, I will probably eventually see The House That Jack Pilt. But I don't know if that's one I'm going to go in theaters, I may have to watch that in the privacy of my own home so I don't feel judged, you know? Yeah. Well, speaking of, you know, acting fantasies being acted out, like sadistic fantasies being acted out, that reminds me of the opening of the album that we've come to talk about today. Today I seriously thought about killing you. I contemplated premeditated murder. And I think about killing myself, and I love myself way more than I love you, so. Today I thought about killing you. Let's talk about Ye. What, what, what did you think of Ye? That's the big big thing everyone's talking about this week. It's the big thing in music. We're going to have a big music episode this week. We're going to talk about this album and 
yeah, I want to hear it, Tom. What have you thought about? It? You've had a, we've had about a week to digest it since it's it's been it's Thursday now. It's it's very early into Thursday, so we've had about a week to digest this whole thing. And tell me what you think. I think it's great. It's uh, the second of Kanye's five producer album little thing that he announced he was going to do. Right, the first one was Pusha T's album Daytona, which we talked about. In a previous episode, this is number two. I know his Kid Cudi collaboration is... Next week, apparently. Soon. Possibly tomorrow or Friday, I mean. Yeah, these seven-track, 20- to 25-minute albums. And, I mean, so far, man, he's two for two, I think. You're, you're So you're, like, all the way positive on this? Like, do you already have... Do you have any opinion of, like, where it ranks amongst his albums for you? Do you have any, like, strong opinion about that at this point? For one thing, look, just off the bat, in my opinion, Kanye's a brilliant artist. People can hate him, hate his personality, hate the Kim Kardashian stuff, hate the Trump stuff. That's fine. I'm not going to argue on it. Musically, I think he's a genius. He's incredibly influential. He's a torchbearer. His production skills are as good as anyone currently working. And I think he showed it on this album, also on Pusha T's album, maybe even to a lesser extent. Really? I think Kanye... I, I, I mean, musically... I think it's possible, yeah. You know what I love about late late era Kanye? I was going back and listening to stuff like Graduation, which is fantastic still, and Late Registration, which is fantastic still. What I love about new Kanye is his focus on being a little more sing-songy in his later years. Like, he he is evolving as a producer. Yeah. Even though he's still producing rap and hip-hop. It's, it's not even that he's adapting to the times. He seems to be always experimenting and trying new things and taking chances musically with his albums. And that's just what I love about him. That's why I'll always turn out for a new Kanye album. And I think this one, it's it's really hard to compare it to his other albums because you look at his earlier 20-track, 70-minute albums, and then you compare it to seven tracks in 23 minutes. And how do you really do that, you know? I would say, for me, I, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm a fan of this album. I like this album. But I would say I'm still in, like, the B B plus range with it probably like I don't think it's a straight out like masterpiece or anything like I don't think it's amongst his best work but I still think it's strong stuff and I do think that the fact that it's seven songs 23 minutes long has basically meant that I've played it nonstop or like at least the entire thing all the way through it's very easy to kind of just throw it on during a car ride and get through the entire thing or I can do a run you know to the entire album and just know like oh well you know it's 23 minutes of running it's straight through and what you're saying, I completely agree with you. I, I, you know, we can go super in depth if you want about like our history with Kanye because Kanye has changed so much over our lives, and I think he's been such a major part because he came out his college dropout came out in 2004, and I was a senior in high school. I think you were a freshman in your first year of college, or I, like I'm a year behind you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 2004 is when that came out. That was like such a massive sea change in the in hip hop that I think it's hard for people to comprehend how much different hip-hop was back then compared to where it is now. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about later in the episode is about how much mainstream music has changed. And Kanye was a huge, huge, huge influence on that. And like you said about how each album sonically has changed and the influences have changed and what he's been up to has changed is absolutely true. He's very much been the Bob Dylan, I think, of hip-hop in a lot of ways because I think even when what he's doing is not necessarily a success uh, maybe not every song is perfect or great. I think the fact that he's doing it and an artist in his position is doing it is what makes it revolutionary or at least somewhat brand new because he has 
tried to largely change the the expectations and the uh, 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 options of what a hip hop artist can do with their career because before him you know not i don't want to give him every single bit of credit obviously there's multiple things that play into this but he was a huge part of changing the gangster rap the mean misogynistic rap and making it much more album focused and making those a statement and also being willing to change his sound like he was mocked incessantly for going to auto-tune singing for 808s and heartbreaks but and i don't think that's his best album if anything it might be his worst overall album but it's also in some ways one of the most influential albums that's been made in the last couple decades because because of the sounds on that album we have drake and all these other artists who have come forth with that like sing-songy, auto-tune heavy, like electronic club beat thing that he started doing back then and was initially mocked for, you know, it becomes basically every song that we're going to talk about in some, you know, later on in this episode. And so he's been incredibly influential and if anything my disappointment with Yay, which like I said, I like the album, but for me, I think the sound is while I like the songs and I think the production is amazing, I think the actual sound is very similar to Life of Pablo. And it feels like this album is the smallest leap in terms of changing his sound. And there's not necessarily anything bad about that. It's just that for me, it makes the album feel like a much more concise, tighter version of Life of Pablo in a lot of ways. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's great that he's make it, made it concise. But at the same time, I feel like I've heard a lot of these this sound before and it didn't throw me as much as some of his last listens have whereas like the first time i heard yeezus you're like what the fuck is this and i kind of like that challenge and i don't think he went as extreme this time and that's fine he doesn't have to do that but i think that combined with the how rushed the lyrics feel and because of the references you know he did all these lyrics within the last couple weeks so they the lyrics feel rushed on top of the production that I think I've heard a lot of before, even though it's amazing production. So I still really like the album. It's just not a revolutionary leap forward like his some of his past albums have been. See, I like I like this more than Life of Pablo. No, Life of Pablo, the highs are much higher for me. This has like a couple... But this album real... doesn't have any lows, in my opinion. I guess, yeah. It's, well, see, I, I mean, think... what's low on the first two and a half minutes of I Thought About Killing You, maybe? <laughs> like, Which isn't... I don't, I don't know. Like, what's... What track is bad on? Well, I, that's the thing. I don't dislike any of the tracks on this thing. I think the lyr- I, I think the lyrics are some of the worst that he's had. In, but I would say the same thing about Life of Pablo. I think as a lyricist, he's just dropped. And you say you like that he's gone to a more sing-songy style. And I don't mind that necessarily as a style. But I think his lyrics have suffered a great deal over the years in terms of... There's obviously some clever, hilarious lines on this album. I don't want to like dismiss those. Well, to be clear... Uh, when I talk about Kanye's greatness, I largely mean it as a producer. I would not compare him as a lyricist or a rapper to the greats the way I talk about Kanye as one of the greats. He's not Biggie. He's not Tupac. He's not Eminem. He's not KRS-One. He's not Rakim. He's none of those guys. But He's not Pusha T. No. He is, he's Dr. Dre. He's like that level of influence in the genre. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's not Pusha T, exactly. Yeah. What I like about this more than Pablo, and I like Pablo, I like, I've liked all of his albums, he's a fucking great artist, is, I, I agree with what you're saying, but that the way he has condensed it seems like affirming this style. And even the way Pablo was released and continued to be released, you know, he dropped it and it was on Spotify, and then you would check it two months later, 
and the tracks had changed. Like he was still tinkering with it. It was true musical experimentation even after its release, you know? Like if you had bought a physical copy of Life of Pablo the day it came out and then listened to it on Spotify three months later, you wouldn't be hearing the same record. Well, that's one of the things about Life of Pablo is that there is no physical copies. Kanye Kanye said he was never going to release it as a physical copy because he was trying to change what an album was or what the limitations of what we consider an album these days to be. So that's why he was tinkering with it. And I think, like you said, he's done the same kind of experimenting here. Like he's releasing these seven song, 20, 20, 25 minute song EPs for this series of summer releases. And he's doing that as a kind of saying like nowadays, this is what people need. They only need quick tracks are not like if you look at the new Migos album it's like 21 or 25 tracks long it's two hours like it takes forever to get through and you're not supposed to like everything it's like just take a few things from here that you do like and save those on a playlist or something like whereas this is like like you like I've said I've listened to this whole thing all the way through like 20 times because it's so short he's right for better and for worse because I think the idea of an album length is so tied into the old physical releases where you know, uh, a record could fit a certain amount of music on each side and a CD, you could fit 70 minutes on it. And so many artists would try to fill that time up like you had you had a cutoff. So you wanted to pack as much in as you could. And that's just not how people listen to music anymore. And so the idea of these 23 minute albums, I think, is great, even though when you can find a 50 minute album that you think is just perfect. Like when you can find Revolver or when you can find Physical Graffiti or something like that. It would obviously these this is my opinion, but when you can find an album like that where you can just hit beginning to end and you love all of it, there's no better feeling. Yeah. It's amazing. But uh, it, it's really, really hard to do. And what he's done with Daytona and now with Ye is find that in between of like, okay, these are the songs that work. I love all of these. I think you're all going to love all of these. And then we're gone. And then we move out. And in terms of lyrically, he's never been my favorite lyricist or rapper, um, with the exception of a few songs here and there in his earlier records, and with the major exception of My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, which I think is just a full-blown masterpiece. I agree. Uh, I agree. His lyricism and what he talks about has never been his strength. So when it comes to the immediacy of this record, like talking about the fallout of his Trump connection recently and freaking out on uh, fucking the TMZ show or whatever, or talking about the feud with Drake and calling him light skinned, all this shit. The fact that it is so immediate, it does give that almost like a feeling of an expiration date in terms of topicality to the album, but also with the short running length of the album and the fact that he's basically releasing a seven track album that he's produced. It seems like every 10 days or something for the next month or two, it does give this idea of how fluid new music is going to be and what the expiration date is on new music and how quickly we digest everything. And I, I really feel like he has figured out this way to adapt to the times, to the way we digest, discuss and like music and then move on from it. And if, I mean, it would be a crazy output to be able to continue to, you know, produce five albums every season of a year or something like that. Like, I don't expect that to happen. But I think what he's doing right now is super exciting. And I think the idea, hopefully, is if he can maintain the quality over the next three, suddenly we're going to have the equivalent of a two-disc record that is 
amazing. That is just front to back great with different styles, different people as the focus point. And you combine those things together into one great playlist and you have like something really, really special. Well, one thing that's really, it's not the first time he's fucked with track listing. Like we just talked about Life of Pablo, but hip hop, when we were growing up there, and if you look at late registration and college dropout, these included are hip hop albums used to be so sketch heavy. There used to be like 30 tracks. There used to be like 30 tracks on every single hip hop album. And there also used to be like, tons of features now this is still like a very big thing but there used to be like every song had multiple features and there's very few songs on the albums that were just that one artist or if it was a group you know that might be different but if it was a solo rapper they would often have people coming in to help support them on multiple songs and one thing that he did was starting with graduation graduation is the first one that i think you know without looking and going back is the one that had he reduced the tracks and I remember hearing an interview with him at the time like 2007 he was like yo I want to I want it to be more like tighter like a regular rock album and one of the innovations that he's had is his eye about expanding what hip-hop can be in terms of I want to take hip-hop to stadiums and I want to take hip-hop to like he, he went on tour in 2006 I believe 2007 I think with graduation and he went on tour with U2 and he talked and he's talked in interviews about how he would sit up there and watch with or without you play every night. And he would watch this sea of people mouth these words. And he was like, these songs are so old and people are still singing them and paying huge amounts of money in this huge setting to come see them. How can I do this for hip hop? Cause it wasn't really like that for a long time. The rap was still not underground. It was becoming more mainstream, but they weren't playing those same kind of rolling stone ish, like stadium concert tours that you, you know, see now with like Jay Z or Beyonce going on all the time. So at the time, He's seeing that, and he's like, I want a bigger laser show. I want a bigger stage show. And he's also talked about how he slowed his rapping down because he realized that sing-songy style that you like is easier for people to sing along with in concerts. So he wrote yeah. songs He wrote songs specifically that are easier to sing along with. And, and he has always been... I was listening to some other rap, especially the stuff we're going to talk about later, and you realize just how much more concerned with melody and being a, a a good pretty or catchy song like he always keeps that in consideration throughout albums and i think a lot of hip-hop artists just get kind of lost in the weeds of their lyrics or a good beat and don't realize like no you need to like switch that beat up and give us an actual like catchy chorus that we care about you know yeah exactly i mean that's what power is like you know he he's so good with drums and his production tracks and he really he really focuses on the drums as a way to like bob your head and get yourself dancing. And uh, yeah, a lot of, especially earlier rap didn't pay attention to that. And they would have five minute tracks over and over again with four different verses from three different rappers that just basically repeated the same 60 seconds of production over and over and over again. Yeah. And that shit gets repetitive unless you're super talented. You know, I think he's much more, I think from, in my opinion, Gangstar was, a huge step forward from the early eighties rap of like, well, my name's Tony Bond and I'm here to say, you know, to (laughs) this, like this, like the, this simple beat, you know, like a turntable and drums, but talking about really stuff and real stuff and having a serious musical flow, um, which ushered in gangster rap and then Dr. Dre hit it. And then Eminem, obviously there's Biggie and Tupac, but then Eminem, Will Smith blew up rap, to yeah will smith the first ever grammy winner 
Eminem completely changed the game lyrically, but he had Dr. Dre to produce for him. And I think that's what Kanye has been able to do for so many rappers now, like Pusha T. I'm, I can't get over Daytona. I mean, I know I'm, I'm just, my thoughts are going all over the place, but Kanye's production on Daytona combined with Pusha T's lyricism is fucking incredible. It's so good. And when you're not the talent of a lyricist like Pusha T, then you should focus on songwriting in a way that makes the songs more appealing to a wider audience and able to have repeat value. You know what I mean? And I think that's what Kanye does really, really well. And I think for a lot of those reasons, he's still considered uh, by a lot of my fan, a lot of my friends who are like, I think more stricter hip hop fans, they think Kanye is a bit of a weirdo at this point. Like they don't like what he's doing with his sound. They, they, they're they like, they don't like that. It's sing songy, but it's, the, these are strange albums in a lot of way compared to a lot of hip hop and I've heard from people who have produced these albums who all say things like Kanye will come up with the homework of like I don't want to hear a single beat that sounds like a hip hop beat like I don't want to hear those beats like bring me something different and so because this uh, it should be said Kanye even though he produces these albums he has a whole team of people who are like co-producing these songs with him he has large large you should see the production list of people on every song there's a huge team of people that he's working with but he is at the end of the day like the filter that everything goes through at the end of the day so he does get a, at the end of the day take some credit for what's ends up on the album and it's just always when i first heard yay i, I want to talk a little bit more specifically about yay and some of the tracks on here yeah let's so, get into it yeah so when i first heard it my first thought was like man he's really become like the brian wilson of hip-hop and what i mean by that is there's a tr- the track that I'm sure we're going to talk about, Ghost Town, which seems to be like most people's favorite song on the album that I've talked to or heard online. Ghost Town's very popular. And there's a moment in there, as the song's building towards the end, where just lasers start shooting off. We're still the kids we used to be. And I was just like, holy shit. And it was this moment of where I had that kind of pet sounds moment where you start hearing like a cow moo in the background or something. And you're just like, whatever like layers and textures this person is putting on here is just kind of blowing my mind. And the way that they're using that in a new way to create new sounds is so it feels so new and fresh and I hadn't heard it before. And the way that song builds is so incredible. And that's one of the, for me, one of the peaks of the album is, you know, the, the last minute or two of ghost town. And part of it is like, yeah, that the layering and the sound. So like, as you hear it, the songs start simple uh, and get so much more complicated or they're being driven by such a very simple minimalist baseline that he knows exactly when to keep it simple, exactly when to get it complicated and yeah, all, I completely agree that the production on this album is incredible. I think my and sorry, and I was going to say in Ghost Town to pick up on that is doesn't sound like a hip hop track, especially the last two minutes. It's, yeah, it's the least hip hop song on the song. album. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, not at all. Yeah, it's a it's a girl just singing a refrain. I think Zero Seventy Shake is her name or their the band's name. Yeah, she's brand They're new. Just singing a refrain over and over again, and then it just has this percussive beat. And it just builds and builds, and it sounds so epic and awesome. It's it almost it borders on like white anthem rock, you know. 
But it's not. It's a Kanye track. Yeah, and it reminds me of stuff like if you listen to Fade on Life of Pablo, you're like, how is this a hip hop song? It's not. Like this is like a yeah. dance like EDM song or something or whatever it is. You're like, this isn't hip hop. And that's what I like is that I bet I could compile a mix of songs that I could play in front of people that they would have no clue that it was even Kanye West because like he either barely appears on the song or he's hidden back there, you know, like Lost in the Woods or something. The very end of My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is such an incredible building track. Like if you're driving on the highway to that song, like you're going to start speeding like it's just going to happen. And, you know, he does this on every album where there's like some soaring, just huge, epic part. And that's kind of what I love about him is like on late registration, he just brings in that orchestra and there's a hip hop album that's all about strings and orchestra driven hip hop songs. And yeah, he's just always doing something creative and new. And I wish the lyrics were a little better. That's kind of, that's really what I'm just going to keep going back to with Ye is that he's really gotten pretty loose about it. And I, I, I guess I would like to talk about for me, the album splits off. Like there's the first three tracks. The first track I thought about killing you opens with him kind of talking to himself, a monologue about, uh, how he's, how he hates him, how he hates that person. He loves himself and he's thought about killing himself. So he's definitely thought about killing you and he's not really identifying who you is. And you have that starting and this very self-reflective panic, like mania induced song. And yikes is the same way. I would say like the first three tracks, uh, up to all mine remind me of that kind of like id driven braggadocious Kanye where he's talking about sex with celebrities it's a lot of name dropping especially on all mine all mine's very much like an old Kanye track in terms of being very funny pop culture driven lyrics over like a very insane beat like all mine's insane but yikes is like reminds me of some other stuff that he's done with like really scary like screaming in the background type loops that are going on you know like it's kind of like a horror song and after that those songs are all like very introspective and angry and kind of scared and about like dirty sex and like having threesomes and you know very derogatory uh, towards women but then the last four songs are kind of like love songs all towards kim towards his daughter about his mistakes and his fears and they're much more beautiful and uplifting and i just think it's an interesting split that the album makes and i'm curious if you thought about that at all or have any thoughts on that yeah for sure i have um i thought about killing you is the weirdest song on the album because i think it's maybe the longest track i'm not sure not not that any of them really long it is by three seconds the longest song the first half of it is just kanye ranting it's it's not really music quite exactly and it's it is what you're talking about you know I love myself way more than I love you. And I thought I about killing thought, myself, so I definitely thought so about I've definitely killing thought you. about killing you. Like I think really 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 bad things. I think I think that part I think that part's pretty cool when his voice goes deeper. It, it's a super weird song, and it almost sets the table of the way you say the album splits also ties into what he wrote on the album this like fucking hot topic slogan, I hate being bipolar, it's awesome. And this song completely addresses his mental instability, which you hear a little bit on Pusha T's album, the track that he guessed it on. Uh, he doesn't want to get sentimental, but they wanted him to be sentimental. Uh, and then the album is split in two. It's like this old kind of rap persona Kanye guy. And then this family man that comes off in the, in the second half, like you were talking about. So to me, I thought about killing you. Probably my least favorite track, just because musically it's not the most interesting, and it feels more like a table setter. 
Yeah. Then we get to, then we get to Yikes, which is really it feels like Kanye's id, just in overdrive, talking about stuff that's been going on recently with the Trump shit. Him talking about how he's a superhero and then like literally ending the song. Oh yeah, screaming like an animal yell, like you're talking about. I think it's a good song. I think it's got a good beat, um, but it does feel kind of more just like a standard classic Kanye tune. All mine to me is when the album really starts to pick up. I really love that tune. The chorus is just amazing. I know uh, he posted that thing on Twitter, the track listing of this in the Cuddy collaboration. This was originally called Medulla Oblongata, which is in the chorus, yeah. which I hope you play right now. Yeah, you so out the bottom. If I pull up with a Kerry Washington, that's gonna be an enormous scandal. I could have Naomi Campbell, and still might want me a Stormy Daniels. Sometimes you gotta bag the boss up. I call that take a Corey Gambles. Find yourself up in the food court. You might have to enjoy your sample. So now that we've heard that, yeah, now that we've heard that, I know he's got Ty Dolla Signs on this and. I think his, uh, I think lyrically, just in terms of Kanye's flow, I think this is his best song on the album. I agree, yeah, this is the best. But it starts to get, this is, lyrically especially, this is when you start to feel the change. He's talking a lot more about women in this track, but then it trans- transitions into Wouldn't Leave. And here we get on a run, in my opinion, although I, I love Violent Crimes also. I've, that song's really grown on me the more I've listened to it, which is the last track. Tracks four, five, and six, Wouldn't Leave, No Mistakes, and Ghost Town, I think are just stone-cold classics front to back. They're such good songs. They're so listenable and re-listenable. They're beyond rap songs to me. Like you were saying, uh, Wouldn't Leave is all about, I mean, getting really, really personal. He even talks about like his slavery is a choice comments from recent, uh, talking about Kim freaking out and him having to calm her down. And basically, he goes into a story about explaining to his wife, Kim Kardashian, that, you know, he's basically an insane person. And if she wants to bail, he wouldn't blame her. And that she is stuck by him and continues to stick by him. And he gets really heartfelt about how much he appreciates it. And I I think Wouldn't Leave is just a beautiful song, man. I've listened to it so many times. And I can't get enough. I, I love... Kanye, you know, he has this personality that he's developed over the past decade and a half or whatever that, you know, he's considered himself the God. He had an album where he called himself Yeezus. He calls himself a superhero on track two of this album. He's just this egomaniac in a lot of his music. But then he has these beautiful songs like Wouldn't Leave or um, uh, what's that track on Dark Twisted Fantasy? Runaway? Runaway, thank you. Or Runaway where he just gets into his problems in such a deep personal way and talks about his flaws in a way that I think is really endearing because he he's so he's able to create such beautiful production with his music and I think he nails it. And then we get this simple track after called No Mistakes, which is like two minutes long and it's basically just Kid Cudi singing this hook that I love the production harkens back to like Jay Dilla and these like jazzy influenced hip hop production tracks with the piano going. Yeah, I love it. Static, I love that beat. Like, yeah, like a little record scratch static going on. It's so so good. 
I just, ugh, the, the, there's just that three track we've talked about ghost town it ghost town's probably my favorite and i feel like those three tracks just build and build and build on top of each other and work together as a triptych in a way that's it to me it's like a perfect 10 minutes of music i it's three of my favorite consecutive songs i think kanye has ever done yeah it's great i, just, I love them man I agree. With, I I agree. I I really enjoy all these tracks. Like and like you said, like no mistakes is two minutes long. Like these yeah. are these are such easy. It's just a great beat. It's really quick to get through, and that's gonna I feel like help this album get played a lot, especially over the summer. It's just easy to listen to. But like you like you were saying, I really have thought a lot about the idea that throughout all of his albums, not just this one. Like this one is especially on point about being bipolar and much more open about that. But that kind of bipolar nature you referenced my beautiful dark twisted fantasy and like the self hatred and self judgment that's on runaway is throughout a lot of his albums. All of his albums are kind of this mixture of braggadocious bravado, like pure id sexual freak, violent, like attacker mixed with sentimental soft-spoken artist who loves women and respects them. And, you know, and I was really thinking about how that's been part of, hip-hop all along like i'm thinking of dear mama from tupac or i'm thinking of like slipping from dmx or like love songs that ll cool j was initially like coming out with like it's always been a part of hip-hop where there's like this macho violent machismo attitude that then gets on some other tracks completely undercut it's all about how we need to respect women or whatever you know you have some artists like common who are probably a little bit more consistent in their attitudes over multiple albums but for the most part, there's always been this split about like the attitude towards women and Kanye's confidence versus his self hatred versus his self reflection and like no reflection at all. Like it's all kind of on display there, and I think those contradictions have always been a part of Kanye, especially, but you know, throughout hip hop. Yeah, and I think what he does really well, whatever mode he's in, I feel like he's incredibly earnest in that moment. You know, which if he is bipolar or, or something similar he can be all sense. of these things they can all exactly. be parts of him. he's yeah. not you're not one or the other you're all of these things what and another thing that i really like about ghost town which probably a lot of people dislike I'm, I'm actually surprised i didn't know that this was kind of the universally beloved track of the album besides the fact that it's awesome and it sounds great and it's fun to listen to but his rapping style in this is super weird he mumbles a lot he like fades while he's finishing a verse and a lot of he only has one verse in the out in the song but he talks about fentanyl and you know obviously kanye has had some notoriety for his drug addictions in the past couple years you know prescription drug stuff yeah and it's almost like he's playing off of that idea that he got hooked and gets faded in in a really interesting way like I, i it it's rare to hear a rapper intentionally fuck up their own lyrics and try not to sound crystal clear unless it's their shtick and they do that all the time like you mace know? yeah he literally oh my god mace he literally kanye will just start as our friend ian says the slowest rapper of all time mace but uh yeah mace um but kanye he'll literally just fade out mid-verse like he forgot the words in ghost town and then he'll just he'll just scream or something and be like i don't care fuck yeah and then we end with violent crimes which seems like the logical the logical progression of where we were going with all the kim and love talk talking about his daughter and how he wants her to grow up and 
what he hopes for or what he doesn't want from her. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, it's a good, like, coda to the album, especially the way it it ties into the first track, I Thought About Killing You, uh, in a sense that it's not the most musically inclined and not the, like, most danceable or whatever. It's more pensive and, you know, trying to make you, like, sit down and talk to you about whatever he's thinking. Feels like that kind of track. I know Violent Crimes. I think it's a beautiful production. I think it's just, like, a really gorgeous sounding track. But I know there, there's been a huge blowback from especially women journalists uh, and all that about, the, and not just women, but like, I've seen a lot of blowback on Twitter and in my podcast streams about violent crimes in terms of like, it's such a tired message that, oh, you're a gangster, you're a bad guy until you have kids and then suddenly you're a good guy overnight and like that's not true. And they just think it's an, a crappy message that I don't think they buy from Kanye because like, like we talked about, like on All Mine, you know, several tracks before, he's talking about fucking cheating on Kim with Stormy Daniels and, you know, Kerry Washington or whatever. And it's then like several tracks later, he's talking about how much he like respects his daughter and doesn't want her to be, you know, thought of in a sexual way and everything. And I think it's, I, I think the contradictions are fascinating, but I think other people find them very frustrating. Yeah. I don't know if he's, I mean, obviously he's saying he doesn't want his daughter to be sexualized, but to me, in the track, he's talking more about the idea that he knows it's going to happen. And it's, I think this song, even maybe it doesn't come across it. Maybe this is just how I'm interpreting it. But to me, it's, it sounds more like it's not as much about how he's reacting now to having a daughter, but hoping that she will be okay when she has to deal with all this shit. So it's more from him projecting how he wants her to feel versus how protective he wants to be. Obviously, there's a lot about you know, how much you change once you have a kid, which, yeah, maybe that's tired and cliche, but I, I don't have kids, so I can't speak from, from experience, but it's got to be fucking true. And whenever it happens to you for the first time, I mean, you have a kid, it's, I, I don't care how many people go through that. When it happens to you, that's beyond life-changing, you know? So when you're an artist and you want to, you're going to want to talk about something like that. Like, that's got to make, that's like any filmmaker who goes from making a certain type of movie to having a kid and then they start doing family shit because they want their sons and daughters to be able to see what daddy does, you know? That's that's yeah, just yeah, a yeah. natural progression of how things work for anybody. Yeah, I fucking hate when people do that, honestly. With, with very few exceptions, you know? I'm like, ah, you know, I understand doing a couple for your kids, but, like, I'm like, Eddie Murphy, your kids have seen enough. Let's go back to... Let's do some work. Yeah, Eddie Murphy, go back to being a homophobe. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah whatever. Um, I, We miss you, Eddie. Well, maybe. I can't wait for the rest of the summer. I can't wait to hear Kids See Ghosts, the other Cuddy album that's coming out. I will I will just make a quick note. If anyone listening is curious, Tom and I talked extensively on episode eight just several episodes ago about like Kanye's politics. So we haven't really brought any of that up or any of the Trump stuff up. And I'm fine with that because we're talking about the album. And if anybody really wants to hear our thoughts on the politics of it and how Kanye's politics have kind of affected the music. We talk a lot about that when we talk about his singles, lift yourself uh, several weeks ago. So, you know, that's why we're not discussing that. And if you are curious to hear it, go listen to episode eight. And also listen to yay, because Kanye talks about it too in the album. Yeah. That's what one thing we pointed out in the last episode is that I don't think people who don't follow Kanye realize how like self-reflective he often is about his public persona and how, knowing he seems to be about it so like something like yay i find just as fascinating because it so directly addresses the public's persona that he's constantly kind of struggling to maintain and deal with and 
you know, like he's a complicated artist and I look forward to hearing what he produces next because, you know, we're suckers for music production and his stuff sounds great. And we hope that I just hope he's happy, healthy, isn't, you know, doesn't keep saying stupid shit. I just want some good music from him and I hope he's healthy and takes care of his bipolar disease if that's, you know, something that needs to be looked at and dealt with in some way. Yeah, I agree. And musically, Kanye is fine. He has not slipped, in my opinion. This and Daytona, two of my favorites of the year. Yeah, keep it coming, Kanye. Yeah, we're getting a new Nas room, too. It's going to be great. All right, so you and I, it's moving on from Kanye. Even though Ye is taking up a great deal of the charts, I wanted to talk to Tom because I've been long fascinated with music and the way the charts have changed and the way streaming has affected the way people listen to music and all this stuff. And so I really wanted to have a music heavy episode where we talked about what was hot right now. And so I tasked Tom with some homework, which was to get onto Spotify. That's what him and I are both premium members of. So these, this list might be different from what Apple Music has or what Tidal Music has, but that would mean that somebody else is subscribed as a Tidal user, and I don't think any person actually is. So we're mostly going off of Spotify. And what I had him do was I had him go to the Viral USA Top 50, and that's slightly different from the actual Top 50 Most Played songs because a lot of those are going to be like the Kanye songs we just talked about. Like a new Kanye album comes out, there's a new Post Malone album out, those songs like kind of take over the charts because they're the hottest thing. So if you go to the viral 50, that's where there are tons of stuff like to go through. And I wanted to listen to some top tracks and see, hear what Tom had to think. Cause Tom doesn't, I don't know that you keep up with the new stuff as much as maybe I do. I don't. You definitely are more current generally than I am. Yeah. Like I check these charts pretty regularly, like just to check out like every couple of weeks, like what's happening right now. Like, and I'll, and I'll give them all like a quick listen to see if anything is standing out to me. Like I, you don't really do that. Do you? Uh, I go through phases. Normally I'll need to kind of stumble upon something. You know, I have my artists that I listen to. And then at the end of every year, I try to track, you know, what people are talking about when it comes to like year end reflection on what's been good in music, but in terms of what's popular, I guess uh, I pay less attention to that generally. So what do you think? Like you, you listened to the viral top 50 in the U S so yeah. like what, what stood out to you about it? Well, I listened to tracks one through 15 that were <clears throat> on the United States viral 50 as of June 4th. So today's June 6th, June 7th for you. Cause it's one in the morning for you. Yeah. So this is as of Monday. So I, I assume they update this every Monday. Am I correct in that? I have no idea, actually. I I didn't look at that. Okay. So really quickly, just for anybody who's listening and wants to know exactly what I listened to, these are the 15 songs. Lucid Dreams by Juice World was number one. Then New Light by John Mayer. I'm Upset by Drake. Falling Water, Maggie Rogers. Old N-Word by YBN Corday. No Place by Rufus DeSoul. Taste featuring Offset by... Tiga and Offset. Tiga. Praise the... Tiga. That shows you how much I know. Praise the Lord by ASAP Rocky and Skepta. Yes, Indeed from Lil Baby and Drake. Domino from Kane Casket. Let Me Down Slowly from Alec Benjamin. Te Bote by Neo Garcia, Casper Majico, and Bad Bunny. Big Bank from YG featuring 2 Chains, Big Sean and Nicki. Minaj Bublin from Anderson Pac and Jackie Chan. Tiesto, Zico... Cream and Post Malone. 
Those are the 15 songs I listened to. And I highlighted six that I liked enough to listen to a second time. The other nine I did not care about. At all. So, so all right. No, so what, what song did, did you like? Uh, what I think most stands out to me and kind of what I wanted to talk about is how little guitar exists on this list oh, of yeah. songs that we're, you know, looking at. There is besides some samples, there's really not much at all. Like John Mayer has a, I think John Mayer's song "New Light" is the only song that I heard with a guitar solo, like a very straightforward, just typical guitar solo. Yes, yes, um, it was. Uh, I think it was the only one of those fifteen. Yeah. Otherwise, there is that um, "Let Me Down Slowly" song by Alec Benjamin that I thought was gonna. I hadn't heard that one, so when I first heard it, I thought when I, I was like, "Oh, there's a riff." There might be some, but no, it very quickly turns into like a, a beat-driven dance track that's not guitar-driven yep. at all. So, yeah, that's one thing that I have completely want, been obsessing over with music uh, over the last, I'd say since 2010, it really started to shift. I really started to notice just how far away from rock and roll music was going. And I think if this list is any indication, like there's some exceptions, but really there's the John Mayer song and there's the Maggie Rogers song. But almost everything outside of that probably falls in the, either the hip-hop, rap, R&B, or dance. And those seem to be where in pop music and like that seems to be where the mainstream is these days there's not a lot of rock bands out there that you are going to see hitting these top charts anymore like there's definitely rock bands and we can talk about some of them that are around but the i think the era of guitar driven rock and roll is kind of dead in the mainstream like what do you think it's in hibernation for sure i mean everything's cyclical i <clears throat> i think it'll come back i think there's some smaller bands that are you know, still popular, and I'm sure if Alabama Shakes had a new record out, they would be somewhere on this list. True. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is definitely the era of trap, dance, hip-hop. It's, that's just what is huge right now with teenagers, and teenagers are the ones who dominate the charts, you know? They're the ones who listen obsessively to new stuff. How much that's have you found—now, I know you and I have both always kind of listened to hip-hop, but how much do you find yourself listening— less and less to rock i know fish is your favorite band i know you're always kind of going back to them going to that well of that guitar driven stuff but outside of that how much like rock is really in your life at this point new rock music or just rock in general and yeah like both how much do you still listen to versus how much new stuff are you taking in i mean i'll always you know less than a couple months will go by before i'll throw on some of my old favorites like led zeppelin or steely dan or the beatles or the stones you know they're always in semi rotation. Yeah, me too. I I agree. But like new, but like new stuff. Like, like you're not bumping the new Kings of Leon or something like that. You know? No, no, not really a Kings of Leon fan. They have a couple tracks I enjoy, but um. But that's what I mean. They're... Like that's one of the few rock bands I can point to that have had several hits over the last decade. You know, like who is that? Who is that artist? You you actually introduced me to them a couple months ago. I thought it was you. Maybe it was Gre Greta Van yeah. Fleet. I was going to mention yes. them. They sound yeah, exactly Greta. like Led Zeppelin. They're one yes, of the, like the, exactly. They are one of the like hipper growing rock bands that are very guitar driven right now. Yeah. So I think they're an interesting case of old school kind of coming back to life. Even though, but they sounded very old school. They remind me of like Jet and like how seventies Jet sounded. Yes, but, but this I, is very, I, yeah, very Led Zeppelin sounding. Yeah, they they were they were good though. I like them. I I will say, uh, you know, at least not at least. I don't really care if rock music is popular or not. I just if it's good, great. If it's just derivative, then who cares? But I will say of the two songs that are kind of guitar driven, 
they're both in the top four on that chart. So maybe there is a hunger for it that just hasn't been fully realized yet, you know, by artists out there. I, I think, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised in five years if guitar driven tracks take up nine of the top 15 spots on this chart. You know what I mean? Yeah. It changes so much. Well, but, um, the John Mayer song, I haven't, I kind of, my, my basic history with music is that I, really fell in love with singer-songwriter stuff in, in high school, and that really started to expand. But I started with that kind of very simple, cliche white boy thing of, like, John Mayer was coming out at that time, Dave Matthews Band. Uh, Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson, Gavin DeGraw, Howie Day. Like, it was a very, like, pop, mainstream singer-songwriter movement. And those were kind of the guys that I started with. And But I very quickly was already kind of learning about the Beatles and the Stones and... James Taylor, Neil Young, Bob Dylan, like the Elton John, all like, you know, the greater songwriters. But I got really into singer songwriters for a bit. And so throughout high school, you know, I really was in love with those guys. And I kind of moved away from John Mayer, especially. He still had some albums like Continuum I, by him, I would still argue, is a very strong album. But other than that, I, don't, I haven't really had much use for John Mayer over the last few years. But I do like this track. I think this is a pretty good track from him. I, I mean,. Whatever, yeah, yeah, whatever. He's a a talented guitarist, for sure. I think that's undeniable. And he does have this weird side gig now. I don't know if you know this, actually, but he's the lead guitarist. Yeah, yeah, for Dead & Company. Um, You know, some of the surviving members of the Grateful Dead. And John Mayer plays lead and sings a lot of the songs. And I know I have a bunch of friends um, from my fish, from my secret fish life. Your your uh, fish friends. yeah, they don't see, they don't tour and go watch Dead and Company around the country, but they check them out whenever they're in town, and they say John Mayer is a great addition, and it's been the best Dead version uh, to a lot of people that includes members of the original Grateful Dead, like either Phil Lesh or Bob Weir or whatever. A lot of them say it's like the best iteration of that since Jerry Garcia passed, which is cool. I'm happy to hear that. I will say New Light was one of the nine songs that I did not feel a desire. I didn't hate it by any means but i did not feel the need to play it a second time i like it one of those six i like it's like caribbean vibe i don't know it kind of gives me that like i've never been i've never been a mayor fan i I don't like his voice i i I, I know his voice is a big turnoff for a lot of people actually Half of the song is much better than the first half for me. The uh, the one, all right. The other track that I want to specifically shout out because I didn't realize until on my way home tonight that it was on this list, but I was going to recommend this song anyway as like a recommendation. But I don't think you and I have ever talked about over the last two years my like, I don't want to say obsession, that's way too far, but my huge, huge fandom for Maggie Rogers. I'm like a massive Ma- Maggie Rogers fan, and her song Falling Water, the fourth biggest song. With the other like non hip hop song on here, I'm like a massive, massive fan of. You'll be happy to know, it was one of the six. Good, good, because she released a song two years ago called Alaska that made it. I don't know if uh, you've probably heard it because I'm sure I recommended it at some point, but it was my number one song that year in 2016. And what it was was she was an NYU student, a music student, and Pharrell came to a class to be like a kind of 
you know, instructor for a day. And there's a video of her playing her song Alaska for Pharrell. And Pharrell just flips out and he's like, this is a gorgeous, like beautiful track. Like this is fire. Like you don't need any notes from me. So that because of that happening, that song really took off. And I love that song Alaska. And over the last year or so, she's released a number of tracks. She has like eight tracks total, all, all told like over the last year. But this is her latest track. And I think she's working on a full album right now. She doesn't have a full album, just an EP. But I've been obsessed with her. So, and this is her latest song. It just came out a few weeks ago. And I've, I've been in love with it. And I was going to recommend it this episode anyway. totally agree with you i think it's a catchy tune the first time i had never heard it before i had really i think i hadn't ever listened to maybe 12 of these 15 tracks before yeah uh, you gave me this homework assignment and this was one of the 12 i had not heard and i actually liked it more the second time around so i think it's one i'm gonna throw on a playlist and keep in uh, some type of rotation for the time being and I, I i will go seek some more of her music out She's got this want- great like singer-songwriter thing where she makes She's them got a great voice. Dan- she makes them very danceable. It's almost like yeah, a folk exactly. singer-songwriter with like some like thumping beats to it. And I, that's what yeah. I really like. Yeah, it was it was a a happy tune, I would say. You know, despite despite the content of the song maybe. Yeah, she's like a very young, very idealistic. I follow her on Instagram, so I see all her like posts about like love and rainbows and spreading joy and stuff. Like she's a very young, like idealistic, in touch with nature person. And you know, she just seems like a really sweet person. I really have just loved the tracks she's released. But she actually, you know, speaking of what I just said about her, it kind of makes me to a broader point about a lot of these artists that we're about to talk about. And that's that I don't have a fucking clue who a lot of these people are and where the fuck they came from. And that's because because of streaming, like Maggie Rogers doesn't have an album, but I've followed her for the last two years. And the way she's kind of kept me entertained was just by releasing a song here and a song there. And she doesn't have to release a major album anymore. Like, it's amazing to me, like how there are big artists now, like the Chainsmokers, who had like several of the biggest songs of the last few years who haven't they just now released like their first album and now with streaming like everyone's single based now you don't have to have you just have to end up on the rap caviar mix on spotify and suddenly like your song will get 50 million plays you know like there's so much power in the playlists that spotify assembles there you know like in terms of what people actually are hearing so it's amazing to me like I keep up with music, you know, like I feel like I'm pretty in touch and I used I used to have that feeling of like, I know every band that's out there for the most part, or at least I have a grasp of who they are or like what they sound like. And now like within the last like decade, it's like, fuck, I have no clue. There's a million people out there. I have no clue anymore. Like there's so many bands out there. Yeah, that's um, that's a big reason why I've I haven't really actively tried to stay as up to date as possible on current music because it's just overwhelming. And yeah, like, the beauty of Spotify is I have 
especially in the last couple of months, I've made much more of a concerted effort, especially when I'm reading or just doing busy work, to just throw on some collated playlist that their algorithms or their rankings have put together. And obviously your Discover Weekly 30-song playlist every week is great because they try to use an algorithm based off of your musical tastes on Spotify. But it, it has helped a lot to help me find some new music, and I appreciate that. And, yeah, Maggie Rogers is cool. I'm going to check her out. I have – so that was one of the six songs. Do you want me to, to yeah, list tell me, the Yeah, tell me the other ones that stood out to you. I, I, I'll see if I agree with you. I hope yeah. – I'm so, sure I do. Yeah. I put them in a rough order, obviously. You know, the, uh, none of the songs I listen to, I think – one or two of them I listened to three times. So they're still very fresh in my head. Um, so this is a changing, this is the life of Pablo of lists. But number six was, we talked about it already, Let Me Down Slowly by Alec Benjamin. I enjoyed that tune. It's okay. Uh, number five was Bubbling, Anderson Pock's album or track. Have you seen that iPod commercial that Spike Jones directed? I have, yeah. No, oh, it's beautiful. That's that's done to an Anderson Pock song. That's why I asked. It's, yes. It's gorgeous. I, He's he's one of the artists on the 15, you know, besides the big names like Drake that I actually did know. So I'm proud of myself there. But yeah. what I love, it's kind of a weird song. I, I maybe liked it initially more than on the second listen through. But I, it's got it's got this really crazy energy that I like. And it has a great bass line that just drives the whole track. Look at me, baby. Don't I look like a million? I'm about to clean out the safe. Don't I look like somebody that just be body and everything? All that talking is great, but I don't be talking. I air it out. All the problems have gotten easy to bury. I'd rather drown him in Hendrix. I'd rather kiss on my Mary. I've been broke away longer than I've been rich. So until it levels out, I'm going to take your mama to the Marriott and wear it out. Which I find very enjoyable. You give me that, give me that good uh, creative repetition in a beat, or a good baseline, or a good drum beat, and you got me. I don't know. It's like the the mathematical side of my brain just really responds to that. So I like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I like bubbling a lot. Number four, <laughs> you're probably making to make fun of me. That was Jackie Chan, the Tiesto song. <laughs> it's okay. I, I, you know, I'm just saying that's where I heard Post Malone on. You know, like. Post it's super yeah. fun. Yeah, it's fun. You know what it is, man? It's Post Malone I'm obviously familiar with. I got to say, I don't know if he's a great musician or not, but there's something about the way he sings that feels so earnest to me. Like he so, seems... There's such a lack of um, a lack of insecurity or no self-awareness in the way he sings. Like he just seems to go for it. I like feel the happiness in him when he sings and he's not a great singer, but to, I don't know. There's something about him that he just lets it all out and his voice. I'm just really drawn to post Malone's voice. And I think that hook that he sings, it's fucking stupid in Jackie Chan, but it's really endearing to me. I really enjoy it. I don't know. Post Malone to me is like the culmination of like, the current status of white appropriation of black music. Like that's maybe. Yeah. Like he's taken hip hop, like that sound I was saying about like that droney, like club driven auto tune sound that Drake kind of started like making really huge that we talked about with Kanye, starting with 808s and some other things that became really prevalent. And now you have guys like post Malone who are, who can rap and do rap on songs, but are often just singing a lot. And Post Malone has some songs where he's not, has plenty of songs actually, where he's not rapping at all. And he's doing this like sing songy thing, but yeah, it's just straight up singing like in a, 
but it's like yeah, that. but it's not over a rock guitar driven song or it's not and it's not over like a hip hop beat. It's like this weird in between like drone rhythm section or something that I can't really describe. It's like where music's at right now. It's like this interesting melding of rock and hip hop that is its own that's I, that's seems to be what's prevalent on the charts a lot these days. Uh sorry, just you can delete this. I just got a text. Hold on. No, I'm going to keep it the fuck in here and you're going to have to explain yourself. Making me wait. I'm just going to talk to myself. All right, now where do you want to come back? You've been making me wait all this fucking time on your fucking text, so let's get back to the music. You're not wrong about the white the white appropriation stuff, probably, and, you know, you see, like, Instagram videos or whatever of Post Malone, and he just looks, like, so dumb and fun, and he's just drinking and getting high. and Like Mal- he Malibu's just, most he's, wanted... He's such a goofball, man. I don't know. I, I find Post Malone endearing, and that track's a danceable track. If I was out at a bar drinking and that song came on and a girl started dancing, I would start dancing with her 100%. Do you, do you like Rockstar, his, like, big song? Has yeah, it's like, fine. I was going to say, I, I think it's fine. It has, like, a billion plays or something. I'm just I, like, Jesus. I do like Psycho. I like Psycho. Yeah, he's someone who's just, like, so prevalent now on, like, so many songs that I didn't realize it was a Post Malone song or, until, like, later on. Stuff like that. He's just around a lot. So my top two, I'm going to lump them together. So we were talking about how hip-hop driven this top 15 is. And my top two tracks from the 15 are probably the two most classically hip-hop songs. Number two is Domino from Kane Casket. Yeah. Which is a super weird song. Um, I think his flow's really good. It has this very chill beat to it, which I like. But the the lyrics are pretty challenging and are really trying to get your attention. And it also has that like spoken word breakdown, which reminds me of like Michael Jackson's Black or White or something like that. But I, I really like what he's talking about in the track. So I responded to that one. That was originally my number one until I re-listened to YBN Corday. Yeah, that, that was my that was with, my favorite. With the title that I I will not say on air, but it's old uh something. Old N words. Old N words. And that track is just amazing. It's fantastic. If you not only is it catchy and fun to listen to and he's got a great flow, but if you really sit down and listen to the lyrics, which I did on the second and third times I listened to it, it is just fire. It is so on point about so many things. And it... Yeah, it, it goes after Bill. It goes after Bill Clinton and Kanye, and it's very like on. Yeah, like very topical. Very good. It goes after Bill Cosby. It goes after like he talks about how basically all these old people in the business are shitting on the youth and telling them that they don't get it and they're not figuring shit out. And he's basically telling them to shut up and stay in their lane. And he's also telling young people like, yeah, you got to do better. You got to try harder. You got to be interesting. Like if you want to be in this game. You got to work for it. And he's got the skills, in my opinion, to back it up. And he doesn't back away from criticizing everyone, including people that were clearly ones that he looked up to a lot, you know? I agree. Yeah. yeah. And Bill Cosby and shit. And it's just such an interesting track. And it's really fun to kind of break down. I actually went on the Genius app and was following along to the lyrics on the second track because the first time I heard, I'm like, damn, this is interesting. I really like this guy's flow. So I looked it up. The lyrics are so good. They're so prescient and well-written. And actually, I'm sure you know the Genius app, Phil. For, but for those who don't, yeah. they break down the lyrics and a lot of the sections are highlighted. 
so you can tap on them and get more information about maybe the meaning or just the fans' interpretation that maybe people liked. This song, YBN actually comments on a lot of them themselves himself and publish them on genius which some artists do and he talks about that you know like uh lately all my idols they've been failing me catching sexual assaults and some felonies then we got r kelly and bill cosby who still probably got little girls in the hills lobby they're supposed to be our heroes they're unreliable like d rose knees which poor Derek rose man former <laughs> yeah. 2011 nba mvp but like he'll you click on that one, and yeah, it's just a couple paragraphs from YBN himself talking about, like, he literally says, I think we all know who I'm talking about. And he just goes on and on. So you you get the sense. I, I did not know who this person was. I'm not going to lie until I listened to this. But I really responded to this track and to him as an artist. I'm definitely going to seek him out more. Uh, not only the lyrics, but what he wrote on the Genius app. He seems very introspective, very intelligent. And just very musically gifted. And I think this was by far of the top 15 the standout for me. Let's take it back when hip-hop originated And old niggas said it was whack They couldn't take it And called it a little trendset and wouldn't last Now it's the number one genre as the time passed Young niggas won't listen and we know it But old niggas always talking, never show it You gotta practice what you preach And the classes that you teach will eventually listen My mind mentally prison, uh Lately all my idols, they've been failing me Catching sexual assaults and some felonies Then you want me to listen what you telling me And wanna hate when we sing our little melodies and other idols they be broke get your funds in order and kanye west is a trump supporter then we got r kelly and bill cosby who still i absolutely agree this that was my standout amongst the tracks that i didn't know like that was the one that i was like oh adding that one to a playlist so i can get back to that one later because that's good and so all right can i i'm before we leave i just want to like throw out my theory on you about like where i think rap rap and hip-hop is right now and i want to see like if if you think it's a good theory so uh, like i heard this one uh i i wish i could remember the name and i don't want to waste time googling it but it was basically this theory that humans and different generations of humans are able to hear more complex things over time so like the way we hear rock and roll music in the 50s that sounded like really fast you know but like over time people got used to that so in the 70s or whatever suddenly you could have like you know, like really fast, you know, much more, more aggressive riffs that like were a little bit more jarring to the older people, but younger people thought like, Oh, this is more natural. And then you get the eighties and you get like speed metal, you know, like everything gets way faster and they're kind of like seeing how far we can push this stuff. And so basically the idea is like every generation is, has the capability of hearing more complex sounds than each, you know, previous generation. So with that in mind, I had this like theory that, okay, so rock music went through this very simple beginning, very humble origins, and then it kind of got perfected in the 70s of what we think of as classic rock, this like melding of folk music and country and rock and blues and R&B, and it kind of became this, you know, great fusion that we, you know, still listen to today. We still love those songs by the Stones and everything. And then after a certain point, we're like, okay, so now that we've perfected it, let's start fucking with it a little bit. And then suddenly we start getting synths and new waves and you start getting electronics in there and you start like, all right, well, let's tear it apart. So that's when in the eighties you get the birth of punk and all that stuff. So that's when you really start like rock splits apart and you get all the different like new sub genres of where rock and roll went to like grunge and speed metal and all the, everything else. So for hip hop, I had that same kind of idea. Like, okay, it has these very humble, simple beginnings, you know, like you're saying, like I'm Tommy B and I'm on the mic, you know, like that's where hip hop kind of started. And for me, that's like the, like Chuck Berry of hip hop. 
And then it gets more complex and almost perfected in the 90s. Like what we think of as the great classic period of hip hop is probably the equivalent of 70s uh, rock and roll. And in the 90s, it's perfected. We get these amazing beats that's incorporating jazz and different types of lyricisms and like very like straight delivery. So suddenly, though, it's time for us to like we're bored with that. So we start fucking with a little bit. And it's like, OK, we have these new electronics. Let's see what we can introduce. So my idea is that I think we're currently in like the new wave slash punk period of hip hop. where like now that we've perfected it in the 90s. We're just going to like tear it apart and have all these new sub genres going forward. So you're going to have like throwback rap. You're going to have like stuff like Kanye. You're going to have stuff that's more like Freddie Gibbs or something like that. You know, like more straight gangster stuff. And you're just going to get these like more. You have those like droney kind of druggy, whatever, like that whole thing. Like I just, I think we're in the new wave era of hip hop. I'm curious, like what you think of that? I think that's interesting. I mean, obviously the modern art, especially the younger ones, you're talking about the droney stuff and you have all those artists who have Lil in their name, like Lil Xan and Lil Pump, these like Lil 16 year old. Yeah. Well, these like, I'm talking more about like the 16 year old rappers who are just talking about how much they love doing drugs in a really lazy way. I don't even mean lazy lyrically. I mean their delivery. Um, but the, yeah, these modern artists have so much to draw from now. Like so many barriers have been broken. And so what do you do to be different? And I think that's definitely interesting. I like what you're saying. My, some of my concern with modern music, not to sound like an old man, but to me, like you go to the seventies and the, the heyday of rock and roll, you know, post Beatles. Yeah. They were still, everyone draws off of you're influenced by what you grew up with. Right. And these people in the seventies grew up listening to music from the fifties and earlier. So you're listening to these really great classical artists and you're listening to these really great influencers of jazz and the blues and then big band and swing music and all of this stuff. And a lot of the, Kids nowadays, they're influenced listening to iterations and derivatives of a lot of that music, you know, the good and the bad. My concern there is you don't have the quality of music to draw from, which is through really no fault of their own. There, there are a lot of younger artists starting out that just don't seem to have a musical vocabulary, which makes them very interesting to me. Like, especially when it comes to hip hop, a lot of the stuff I usually draw... Uh, I, draw towards with the exception of a few artists who are amazing lyricists who are music amazing i'm normally drawn to the production side of hip-hop and i really respond to guys like dj premier and mad lib and q-tip guys who are clearly influenced by like a whole encyclopedia of music beyond rap you know yeah like, who are like, really influenced like you were saying by jazz and by blues and by swing music and by big band music and they they take all of this and try to meld it and that's what Kanye does as well. Kanye is great at that. And yeah. when you when you have that diversity in your music, it allows you to open up so many new avenues and new ways of creating songs and when you blend that with a modern a relatively much more modern style of music like rap, um it's this whole new area to explore, which is why I think the genre is so exciting in general. Um but when you don't come from that background, when you don't have that knowledge, you don't take the care to really learn about all that shit, you can get this really derivative, lazy shit. And, I mean, obviously that happens in every generation. I think, you know, for for every great classic rock band of the 70s, there is a bunch of garbage that we just don't know about because 
you didn't have the internet then and those people just kind of disappeared. But now we have the benefit and I guess the curse of being able to hear everything all the time. Like what you were saying about how a person could just put a single on Spotify. Like if Kanye was popular in the sixties and seventies, we would have never heard lift yourself. You know what I mean? Like right. it would have never made the cut. They, they would have never put the money in to record that in the studio and get a pressing of it and promote it on the radio. So that, that shit would have just disappeared. But that shit doesn't disappear now. It's everywhere and you can hear it immediately and millions of people can hear it instantaneously. So you get the bad with the good there. I like that comparison. I, I don't, I'd have to stew on that, but that's definitely interesting. I wonder, um, I wonder where hip hop goes from here yeah. in the next several years. And I'm curious if rock comes back. So, you know, like, well, I guess rock's we'll coming it. back. Rock's never going to die. I mean, I hope so. I jazz, hope you're right. Jazz is still around. It's less popular than it was. Yeah, I guess, like, how big will it come back? You know, I guess that's the the question. Like, I don't doubt that there will always be good rock bands. Like, of course there are great rock bands right now. We just haven't talked about them. And I guess the only reason we're not is because I think the point we're making is they're not topping the charts, like the mainstream charts right now. But Yeah, that was the goal of this episode. That's the goal of this episode was talk about the mainstream charts. There's still plenty of good rock bands and indie rock bands out there doing, like, really good stuff. I don't want to, like, undermine the work they're doing. It's just more about how the mainstream culture has changed that I think we're talking about. If we're going to wrap up, if we're going to wrap up. Yeah, I'm good to wrap if you want to, like, you know, that's all I really wanted to talk about. I want to, you know, if you had anything else you want to say or anything, like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I do. So, to keep it uh, musical, um, I would like to have you, Phil, put on two songs I'd like to recommend. Okay. One of them is definitely more in the rock vein. Uh, it's by a band called The Lemon Twigs. Have you heard of them? So, uh, maybe. Uh, there, that's the th- the problem with these days is yeah, that... Oh, oh, is it... Um, yes, I have heard this album. This is a damn good album. Um, I Want to Prove to You. Is that the song you want to do? No, I want to play the song Taylor Made. Okay. In 3, 2, 1, play it. about this track is it seems to incorporate a few different styles in three minutes or however long the album is especially the the middle portion of the song is such a throwback to the rolling stones it sounds so so much like the rolling stones in a good way not in a completely derivative boring way so that was one song i want to recommend the other one i haven't looked this band up in a month or so and i think this is still the only song that they have on spotify but it's a song called Trouble by Grape Tooth. I don't know if you know that one. I do not know that one. I like it. You know, I can't, I'll have to give the full song a listen. I only heard that little sample, but I definitely, it's a funky, 
funky driving beat sounds like a good time yeah it's basically to me it sounds like they just they hit upon a groove maybe just fucking around and they really liked it and that's the entire song but i don't know it's hypnotic in a really cool way it reminds me of if you're just a couple of musicians dicking around you just stumble upon something that you like and you just play it through and kind of kind of fall into it you know almost like hypnotize yourself by it it's uh Really good song. I got to listen to more of them when they come on. I know I, I talked about it in a very early episode, but I made a podcast on Spotify for anyone listening called who is interested called How's That Day Pod. And I'm going to add that Grape Tooth song and the Lemon Twig song to it. So, uh, you know, Phil recommended three songs back in the day that are already on there. I'm going to keep slowly adding to it as uh, as we go along in this podcast. Yeah, I'll have to throw some stuff on there. I've been I've been bad about keeping up, so my fault. What do you want to talk about? Because I'm I'd, that's good for me. Those are my recommendations. Nice. I, I've I've been ending with some recommendations, and it's been a little while since I ended with a rant. So I wanted to end with a small little rant today, and that rant is that we need to be better fans. If you, I don't think a lot of people listening to this are pro- part of this problem. But actress Kelly Marie Tran of The Last Jedi, she played Rose in that movie. She had to cancel her Instagram accounts because of all the abuse that she was taking, of the harassment she was getting online. She was getting death threats about ruining the franchise. And it's just really awful. And I just basically wanted to, you know, reflect on how shitty these fans are. Uh, I saw a tweet that basically pointed out, like, this is the same fandom that made Jake Lloyd go insane drove Hayden Christensen to quit acting, made George Lucas not want to direct movies anymore and like has ruined multiple like ruined multiple people's lives. Like I think it's, da- Daisy Riz- Ridley left social media. Yeah, and, well, oh yeah, right? and it said something about and, and forced Daisy Ridley off of social media as well. Like it gets really ugly and really shitty and like I know last week like I I had my little nerd boner, my little nerd rage boner about Solo and not like being a huge fan of it. But at no point did I have any interest in like tweeting at Ron Howard about what a fucking loser he is or something like that. Like I just think that's so stupid and such a waste of time. And I got on after seeing these comments, I like got on some of the Star Wars film Twitter things, just like check them out. And because I, I don't, I really, I'm a big Star Wars fan, but I don't spend that. I'm not that big of a nerd that I spend that kind of time like arguing with it on with strangers online. So I was looking at some of these people, and they were basically defending these attacks against Kelly Marie Tran by attacks against the movie The Last Jedi. And they're like, yeah, well, they ruined Luke. And you're just like, dude, you're an awful human being. If you think that whatever ownership you feel of this character overrides like your requirements to be a decent human being, you know, like it's it's so awful. And I just really wanted to rant a little bit about how shitty these people are and how fandom doesn't need them. And I hope it's always been a part of fandom, this toxic masculinity, and I hope we can get rid of it. And yeah, it's just really ugly. And I hope, you know, because I think she's wonderful in the movie. I think she's got a great fresh face. I, she really stands out in that cast. And yeah, I hope she can come back and have some more fun on social media and stop taking such abuse because, you know, fuck that. Yeah, that's truly vile. I heard about this too. And it's, uh, it's fucking terrible. It's people are crazy, especially when you get online and have that anonymity. People are just going to be the worst part of themselves. And it's it's a weird problem because, you know, you don't want to feed the trolls, but at the same time, they're going to find outlets to feed each other, and then it grows and grows and grows, and then you have shit like Kelly Marie Tran getting death threats or the, uh, the incel fucking 
losers in Toronto, that guy who drove his van and killed a bunch of people, and you found out he had this whole white supremacy, virgin cult of people online that they just spewed their hate at each other and basked in it and enabled each other, and it's fucking terrible. I will say, uh, to try to put a positive spin on that story, which is 100% awful, there's a hashtag that uh, Ryan Johnson, the director of Last Jedi, tweeted today that's a hashtag fan art for Rose. And if you click on that, you'll see just countless fans of the movie and of Kelly Marie Tran who have uh, used their own artistic sensibility to kind of salute her and give tribute to her. And a lot of really cool drawings and paintings and like digital artwork of, um, you know, thousands of people who really responded to her and loved her character. And at the end of the day, it's all like, yeah, your nerd boner over solo is funny and, and like kind of ridiculous in a, but in a funny way you were. Solo yeah. Like I'm not, the, I'm not genuinely the, mad at the creator. No, of, of course not. I like, I still think Lawrence Castan is an incredible writer who's contributed to film history in incredible ways. Like just because I wasn't a fan of the script of solo doesn't mean like he's a bad person, you know, yeah, like and I didn't Woody Harrelson is still the shit. Like none of that changes yeah. just because there was a mediocre movie there. And that's crazy. Yeah. And I just can't believe that there are people who in this day and age can't make that disconnect, but I guess I shouldn't be surprised. No, this is the extreme of all the people who feel like the last Jedi was an abomination because it didn't totally cater to their needs, which we talked about in solo in our solo review as well. It's, it's awful. People suck sometimes but you know the good outweighs the bad hopefully that's what i like to think and yeah hopefully uh kelly marie tran needs to just i don't know try to tune that shit out i know it's hard i I can't even imagine what it's like having to deal with that on a daily basis but hopefully she's got some private instagram account that she can enjoy with her friends and family and all this shit dies down and hopefully she comes back in the ninth star wars movie and kicks some ass we'll see all right, yeah. So, all right, that's all I've got for this week. I'm sorry to end it on such a down note. Maybe I'll switch the sides of that so we can end with your fun songs, so some funky no, songs. No, that's fine. People okay. need to know. They need yeah, to they, know. they need to know the truth. That Star Wars fans suck. You know, they need to know. So yeah. anyway, that's the show for this week. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show. Uh, you know, I we just started a Facebook page, so if you want to go find us there on Facebook, we have a page now, and I'm going to start uploading the YouTube links there. I have started uploading all the videos to YouTube. I don't know if you have seen those at all, Tom, but yeah, of course. Go, go start sharing those. Go start spreading the love. You can go see them there. We're going to be on more platforms soon. So wherever you are, just leave a review. Let us know what you think. It's always great to hear people that I didn't realize were listening to the show have been listening, and it's kind of great to hear. Everyone's been very positive, and everyone's a little, it seems almost surprised. They're like, hey, you guys are, that was more entertaining than I thought it would be. And I'm like, thank you. You know, but I don't like that everyone's a little skeptical, but everyone seems to be won over by the end. So I guess we're doing I mean, nobody, no one needs a new podcast where two white guys nerd out, but I appreciate anyone who listens and enjoys it. Thank you guys sincerely. Yeah, but you know, we're, we're buddies. We're the only, I think we're the only podcast that's like just two friends talking. Yeah, nobody else does that. No. Okay. Uh, all right. So anyway, send us those reviews. Send them. They all help. Uh, thank you, Zach Pitts, for the theme music. I love hearing it every week. Uh, very eternally grateful for that. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Big Fat Bond. That's all one word. And you can find me at Phil Wiedenheft. Look for us there. Look for us on Instagram and Facebook. Come visit us. Talk to us. Send us messages. Send us emails at howsthatdaypod at gmail.com. You know, we just want to hear from you. 
desperately, desperately want to so hear from desperately. you. So desperately. We're so anyway. lonely. All right, Tom, I'm going to hear from you next week. And we're going to talk about, I don't, we haven't decided what we're going to talk about. Let's see what happens this week. I'm, I'm eager to see if anything big happens this week that we're going to be like, oh shit, we have to talk about that. I mean, I know what I'm going to be talking about unless you need to wait to see it, but Hereditary comes out on Friday. Oh so fuck, that's right. That. Yeah, we're that's going to be right. talking about that. I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go try and see The Rider tomorrow. So that's going to be my second sad horse movie of the year. So I'm really excited Yay. about that. So anyway, yeah, I'm going to see that and then I'm going to go see Hereditary and hopefully that's as scary as fuck. I thankfully saw the trailer once like six months ago and I have since looked away and avoided it whenever I knew it was coming on. I have not seen it since. I didn't want any of the images spoiled from me. I don't know really at all what it's about. Like I'm going in there very cold and fresh, so I'm excited. Awesome. Um, I also, by the way, yeah, sorry, really quick note before we go, you'll appreciate this. You know, like I was talking to Joey and he was just, go- he suddenly the other day asked me, he's like, Hey, have you ever seen the witch? And I was like, yeah, I've seen the witch. He's like, that movie's fucking incredible. And I was like, thank Joey, you. Joey, my dad, Joey. <laughs> I know. But like, he's always coming up to me just with these surprises. I'm like, yeah, that is a horror masterpiece. He's like, it's absolutely a horror masterpiece. And I was like, you never, you know, let me down, Joe. That's not true. He lets me down all the time. But like, in in, in his mu- movie taste, he also came up to me. He's like, have you seen that new Joaquin Phoenix movie? You were never really here. And I was like, have I? He's like, that movie's incredible. And I was like, why do you have such good taste? You know, like, where does this come yeah. from? <laughs> why does this Why does this lazy stoner have such amazing taste in movies? But he yeah. does. Yeah, he does. All right, anyway, so, Tom, I will see you next week. Let's get out of here. It's getting late. You go do what you're going to do. Go watch some basketball. Oh, I will, baby. All right, I'll talk to you next week. See you. All right, love you, everybody. I like saying I love you at the end of every episode. <laughs>